Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We're Forward Radio WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from high atop the historic Hayburn Building here in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM. We also live stream to you anywhere you are in the world at forwardradio.org. You can tune us in there. You can uh, check out podcasts. We, are, we archive all of our local programming at forwardradio.org if you want to share the show with somebody else or listen again later. And while you're there, click on participate. We really rely on you to make this radio magic happen. It's an all-volunteer powered station and maybe you could be our next volunteer programmer or even just a guest on one of our programs. If you click participate and let us know what you want to do, we can get you behind these microphones. And then also click donate while you're there. Uh, we rely entirely on your contributions. This is a listener-sponsored station, and it's totally affordable. The whole station costs just $20 a day to keep on the air. So maybe with that $20 in your pocket, you could sponsor the entire day's broadcast at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do on the show here each week is sit down with different folks from around the community and sometimes from around the nation for conversations about sustainability. The focus of our topic uh, today is going to be all about trade and trade justice and the connections with climate change. And I'm really excited to have joining me in the virtual studio, Alana Solomon, joining us from D.C. today with the Trade Justice Education Fund. Welcome, Alana. Hello. It's so good to be here with you today. Yay. We made it through all the scheduling and the technical issues. <laughs> we're here. And now we're having a great conversation. This is going to be great. This show is often hyper-local, and I love that. I love talking just about what's going on in here in Louisville. But it is important, I think, to sometimes take a step back, sometimes a big step back, and look at things on a more global level. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on and talk about the work of the Trade Justice Education Fund, because you all are sponsoring public education programs designed to expand awareness about the workers' rights, environmental and climate, and public health implications of U.S. trade policy. And the the Trade Justice's long-term mission is to increase public understanding of just, sustainable trade policy alternatives, as opposed to the business-as-usual neoliberalism and racist nationalism frames that are often presented as the full scope of the trade policy debate. Wow. That's a big remit. <laughs> That's a lot. It's sort of heavy. Um, uh, but tell us about how you kind of do that work. What is your organizing principle, I guess? Yeah. So I think I wonder what your listeners are thinking when they hear today's show is going to be about trade. <laughs> a lot of people might be, oh, we'll just turn off the station now, right? <laughs> Boring. It might sound technical. I know before I got into this work, I was like, trade, like why? Those are about goods and products moving mm. across borders. That's how I got my refrigerator or my, you know, phone. What, what, what's this about global justice? So I'm going to give a little bit of background just to sure. say about how I sort of entered it and what I learned about it and why it actually is a global justice issue. So again, when we talk about trade, people often think, as I did, that it really is about trading goods or products, you know, between country um, to country. And some folks might have an idea of tariffs or the small taxes that are on goods when right. it's into a country. Um, and that used to be what our trading system was about. And that has shifted dramatically over the last several decades where, sure, trading is still about goods and products moving overseas, 
But now it's actually even more about removing standards and safeguards, things like bans on chemicals or permitting requirements for oil and gas. So far beyond the original remit. And it's all so that multinational corporations can earn more profits at the expense of people in the environment. So it's one of like a major human rights, health, environmental issue that gets very little attention because it can be so wonky, it can be so dense. So what we really try to do is break it down and to explain how this complicated system actually impacts our environment and our health and people's everyday lives. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I'm already thinking it's valuable to point people to your website because it sounds like there's a wealth of resources there. So if you want to play along at home, it's Trade Justice Ed fund.org and you all have put up some great resources there for people but this is a really wonky topic and so it it makes me think this valuable it would take a minute to just stop and ask what are the best ways to try and communicate all this yeah i think a first um best practice is to make it concrete and to talk about real life examples so let me give you one (laughs) (laughs) i like i love it So, you know, like I said, trade agreements are not about trade and tariffs anymore. They're not just about that. They're often thousands of pages long, dozens of chapters. And one chapter, for example, that's commonly in a trade agreement is about investment. Mm. And sort of under the guise or the misleading premise that it's about increasing foreign investment in countries, so a corporation investing in another country, that's all, you know, fine and good. (laughs) But really what it does is it gives these extensive rights to a foreign corporation when they invest in another country. Rights, for example, to fair and equitable treatment. A a corporation has to be treated fairly. Right. Whatever that means, like, who knows? But they have to be treated fairly. They have to be able to have a stable regulatory environment. And yet, to address the climate crisis, we actually need to change our regulatory environment. We need to put regulations and safeguards on, you know, fossil fuel production, more health and safety equipment and features. There's movements to stop fossil fuel production altogether mm. and transition to clean energy economies that generate green jobs. So in the context of the climate crisis, it's very hard to say to a corporation, invest here and the rules will never change. But that's essentially what a free trade agreement does. And here's the real example. Your listeners may be familiar with a a major environmental fight against the Keystone XL. Sure. Yeah, that's a good one to talk about. Yeah. Great. So very high profile fight. This was a pipeline that was going to bring very high polluting tar sands from Canada all the way through the United States into the Gulf. And there have been really big mobilizations against this pipeline for years, de- you know, over a decade now from communities that would have their one of them rejected the pipeline. And that was a really major victory. Unfortunately, TransCanada, the Canadian firm who's concerned about the climate, was behind the Keystone XL pipeline, used its very broad rights that I just described in the investment chapter and sued the United States for $15 billion. Wow. 
using a set of provisions in the North American Free Trade Agreement that allows foreign corporations to directly sue a government, in this case, the US government, not in a pub, like in a normal judicial system, but behind closed doors with three part private arbitrators, again, for taxpayer dollars. Mm. This is a really big deal after this major success, after successful democratic mobilization, the president of the United States makes a, makes a decision in the public interest and all of a sudden, we might be on the hook to pay $15 billion. Wow. Now, unfortunately, when President Trump came to office, he withdrew on Obama's commitment to not have the pipeline move forward. So the pipeline at that point was going to move forward. TransCanada removed its case. Some President Biden, once again, says mm. that the pipeline's not going to move forward. So TransCanada just launches its case again for another $15 billion that is now proceeding. And wow. if that moves forward, U.S. taxpayers are on the hook to pay the bill to a Canadian oil giant. It's mind boggling. Like, how, <laughs> could, <laughs> how can this even be? <laughs> that is one example of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Like, there are so many examples of this. Um, well, but that is a good one because it's so high profile. Is, is it, it's high profile, but is it also particularly high dollar? Like, is that unusually high? No, I mean, these are pretty, the price tags, that's another thing. And especially if you look at, that's against the U.S. government. But there have been so many cases against poor countries, developing countries, countries whose budgets, like, frankly, can't accommodate, sure. you know, billion, billions of dollars in settlements. And countries are losing these cases and having to pay foreign corporations enormous sums of money just because governments have put in place mining regulations, permitting regulations, etc. There's another case that's ongoing. In this case, it's a U.S. corporation that is suing Canada. This is a smaller dollar amount, $250 million, still substantial, because Canada has a moratorium or a timeout on fracking for oil and gas mm -hmm. underneath the waterway. No matter what you think, if you are for hydraulic fracturing or fracking or you're against it, you know, I, I hope that we can all agree on the principle that it is up to governments and the constituencies that elect them to be making these decisions and certainly not foreign corporations in private trade tribunals that are completely unaccountable to the public. So when we think about trade justice, these are the kinds of injustices that we are trying to mm. solve for. I almost feel like we need to stay, take a step back and ask, well, how did it used to work where our world maybe had a little more trade justice? And then how did we get to this place? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, just we won't do too much of the history here, but it really happened at the turn, right? So from the like, 1940s to the 1970s, you have something called the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs. And it really was about reducing the tariffs or the taxes that countries pay at the border to make goods flow more easily. And it was in this period of the 1980s, through the rise of what we call neoliberalism, and institute the first NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, came to be around that period in the early 1990s. The World Trade Organization uh, came to be around that period. And it just coincided with the enormous growth of multinational corporations, mm. the power mm. that those corporations have, you know, over history, 
again, the ability of those corporations to lobby the U.S. Congress, for example, who plays a role in these trade agreements. And it just shifted to more of a profit-making enterprise. And once those taxes are already low, the next way to make profits is get rid of the regulations. Mm. Make it easier to trade because it hurts a company's profit if you ban a harmful chemical, you know, or it hurts a company's <laughs> ability to profit if you say you can't bring this dirty oil across communities. But we have to be making those decisions about what is right for the public interest, not as what's best for a company's bottom line. Hmm. So are U.S. laws about corporate personhood, I, I, that's, I don't know if that's the right phrase to use, but that's what's coming to mind. Are they particularly lax compared to other nations we tend to trade with? <laughs> or yeah. is it pretty much everybody's on the same page now and we're all doing corporate personhood and they get to <laughs> roll over everybody all around the world? <laughs> Well, I, d I don't know so much about corporate personhood in other countries, but I will say that the U.S. is not particularly unique in its use of these extreme rules that allow foreign corporations to directly sue governments. And there's actually thousands of these agreements hmm. and very strong movements in the United States against these rules that empower foreign corporations in these ways. And we are coordinating very closely with our allies in other countries. And we're actually beginning to see some shifts. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, interestingly enough, and especially in the U.S. on this issue, there's other issues we can talk about where we need a lot more progress <laughs> and this one, too. But, you know, for example, both administrations, the Trump administration and now the Biden administration have real have moved away from uh, trade agreements that include this what's called investor state system where investors sue the you know states, the governments and private trade tribunals. So the trade agreements or the trade frameworks that the U.S. is negotiating right now seems like they will not include this system. Huh. That's a really big step in the right direction. And it's thanks to incredible advocacy and engagement of our listeners in partnership with other people across the U.S. There's still a lot more work to be done because we still have so many of these rules and the agreements outstanding. So one of our asks is certainly that the United States and other countries commit to never again sign an agreement that includes these broad protections for foreign investors. And then we have to start undoing the damage. Then we have to start actually going back and changing or terminating, ending these agreements that already have these rules in them. And that's a much longer process. So it is far from over. Um, but we have seen in this area some interesting progress. Wow. Um, I'm so glad to have you joining us here on Forward Radio today. I'm speaking with Alana Solomon from D.C., representing the Trade Justice Education Fund today. We're, we're going global on sustainability now and talking about, uh, you know, how these global issues like climate change are impacted by things like our global trade system and how it's all kind of tied together, which... I fear can make us all feel a little bit completely overwhelmed. Like it was uh, cl climate change was already overwhelming. And now, <laughs> and now you're telling me like the, the fix is in and these transnational corporations hold all the cards and yeah. where do we begin in this fight? So I, we're going to talk about some of these solutions and I'm glad you already started hitting on some of it today. But um, I, before we go into that, I, I, I'd love to spend a little more time talking specifically about how this makes action on 
addressing climate change so much more challenging. Obviously, some of these multinational corporations you're talking about are fossil fuel industries, right? Uh, their entire business model is all about taking carbon out of the ground and putting it in our atmosphere. And that is what we absolutely have to stop doing right now if we want to survive. And we're seeing right now the impacts this is having on people like right here in Appalachia or right now today as we speak, as we record this in Florida, right? Um, exactly. So tell us a little bit more about the role of these transnational corporations in making it difficult for even governments, much less individuals, to address climate action. Yeah. You know, there's just this fundamental clash again between what we need to do to address climate change, which, as you just said, right, and as we talked about earlier, moving beyond fossil fuels and fully embracing clean energy. That could be bans on pollution, big subsidies for clean energy, penalties for violation. It could mean keeping fossil fuels in the ground, stopping their use domestically and also stopping their export. That also just means using things closer to home. So one of the policies that we really support is about how do we encourage domestic production of manufacturing, of producing goods, right. um, products closer to home. And unfortunately, in the trade universe, that's discriminatory. Then you're discriminating against other countries because you are prioritizing building up your own industries. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Exactly. And to be clear, we don't think we think the US should be able to build its own industries in clean energy, right? And building electric vehicles and batteries for our electric vehicles and infrastructure for you know, this is now I'm on transportation, but solar panels, wind turbines, all of it. We think that other countries need to have the ability to do that too. This is not, right, America first. This is like we as a community need to tackle this global crisis. And everyone should have every tool in the toolbox to be able to do that and to be able to prioritize and pick clean energy over high polluting mm. energy sources. And that is just like fundamentally at odds with our global trading system. And we see that play out certainly in those cases of foreign corporations being given these enormous powers. But we also see increasingly governments using a trade rules to challenge other government climate policies, especially in this area of what I'll call like localization or this, you know, buying local. So to give an example there, there are many, but there's been a string of cases, for example, the United States this time challenging a national policy in India where India was trying to develop its solar industry, but yeah. it also wanted to stimulate as a relatively poor country domestic production of renewable energy and solar panels in its country. So it had a national program that essentially encouraged the production of and the manufacturing of solar panels and would give an extra boost or incentive for companies to use locally manufactured products. Great policy. The United States used WTO rules to strike down that policy because it discriminated against U.S. exports. India, in return, realized that the United States had that same policy in eight U.S. states to prioritize local production of solar panels. So it sued the United States, eight states, and then those states are in the process of stripping out those policies. So it's this ridiculous tit for tat mm. of 
circular firing squad of countries knowing <laughs> that we need to, right? We, we want thriving economies. We just want them to be thriving off of safe, clean, renewable energy. And to do that, you have to encourage the production. And again, that is fundamentally at odds with our trade rules. And now we are seeing this string of cases. And I have a solution here to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, we should definitely talk about solutions. Um, I, 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 I do want to sort of put that at the end so that we leave people on a more hopeful and empowered note. Uh, yes. But I, I think it's important that we, we lay out the groundwork here and, and frame the problem as best we can. You know, I, I remember when we were organizing in the 90s for crying out loud against these global trade agreements, you know, and I was dodging bullets on the streets of Miami. <laughs> Back in those days, the tear gas was flying. The The concern amongst my fellow, you know, protesters was that this is going to lead to a race to the bottom. And exactly. I think what you're saying, what your story you're telling us today is that that has really played out true right. in the last couple decades, you right? You're correct. Exactly. That is correct. And what we mean is like a race to the bottom in terms of people's health, worker protections, uh, pollution and global climate crisis, right? Like, I guess it has really come true that the, these multinational corporations and their government allies, because it does take convincing governments through lobbying and, you know, yeah. putting enough dollars to have really sort of won, are winning the war at this point. Uh, and we're yeah. going gonna to talk about some ways we could continue to fight back. But it just seems crazy to me that like, this is such a, we, we talk about like defending national sovereignty and, uh, and you know there's a war in ukraine right now about you know um, national sovereignty right and it's all about borders and everything but they're kind of meaningless if we sign these treaties and sort of give away all of our rights as a as a nation right that is right it is super hypocritical in in those ways and the rights that we extend to corporations as you, you talked about personhood the rights that they're afforded in these trade agreements is pretty astounding and that is a big reason why let me give an example of a major trade fight that i worked on with an organization called the sierra club um, and under the obama administration who was working on the trans-pacific partnership agreement which was going to be a massive expansion of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which is just Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and this was going to expand it to about 12 countries across the Asia Pacific. And that was an incredible campaign. Again, it, because these trade agreements are so huge and they impact so many people, it brings together, again, environmental organizations, labor unions, food and farm organizations, public health organizations that all came together to highlight the really big dangers of this pact, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which would have been one of the biggest expansions of this harmful model of so-called trade. And talk about a success story. I mean, through incredible organizing, both in the United States and in really all of the partner countries, it became a major presidential issue with all of the presidential candidates in the United States, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump for, um, I would say, a set of nefarious reasons, but in any case, more America first, right? But um, it became a major issue. And in the end, there was never the support to pass the agreement. And I think talk about, you know, hopeful lessons is when we do educate communities on um, the impacts of these agreements, and we do provide pathways for people to get engaged, we can win, right? We, we actually can slow and, and hopefully eventually stop and then start to unwind all of the destruction of this model. And we, we're beginning to see cracks in, in the foundation thanks to that engagement. 
okay, good, good. I definitely want to move towards solutions. And I'm thinking, crazy thought here, but we certainly have lots of people on the conservative side of the aisle screaming constantly, America first, right? Are those people allies in this fight against multinational corporations first? Or could they potentially be? Could we turn that rhetoric towards trade justice? Or is that just total wishful thinking? No, I mean, it's a very strange alliance on some of these agreements. And you're right. There there are some um, policymakers who oppose these trade agreements. It's a very dangerous game, though. <laughs> I do not believe in America Strange first. bedfellows, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we do want to win, but we don't want to win <laughs> in a racist, xenophobic way. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> Wait a minute. So are you saying that you aren't against trade? (laughs) Not against. And this is part of the work. Like, and we, there's actually a proposal out there by our colleagues, the Sierra Club. And, you know, there are many other proposals out there, which is like, what does a trading system looks like that does protect workers in the environment? So we are absolutely not against trade. I am absolutely, use I statements, not against trade. Um, I am against the current model. By and large, I think it puts, as we said, multinational corporations and their profits against um, and above people, communities, health, safety, and the environment. But that's not the only way to do it. You can actually have a global trading system that actually prioritizes trade in goods that benefit communities and the environment. You can have a global trading system that encourages countries to put in place safeguards for even, you know, oceans and wildlife and the things we want that also are trade, like they relate to trade and some of these, you know, can be tradable commodities. So there's a way to do this and various proposals out there. It's just not what we have now. Okay. Well, I'll play the role of someone who's against trade because this entire global trading model is entirely based on fossil fuel. It is entirely fossil fueled. Like we are not shipping things around the world using renewable energy. No, we're not. Maybe someday you could do some of that, uh, or maybe yeah. we could return to sailing ships, and it would be really slow, and you couldn't just click on Amazon and get it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but but right now this global trade system. It's insane. It's a death game. Like, what? So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, trade between neighbors, relocalizing your economy, trade needs to happen. I'm all about trade. It's just, does it have to be global and based on fossil fuels? Like, that seems a little insane. And and guarantee race to the bottom, because you're always going to go wherever labor's cheapest, right? That's exactly right. Right. So how do you, could a trainman say, we will only trade with countries who have these environmental safeguards in place, have minimum labor standards that are at least as high as the United States, that have a minimum wage, that have like, you can actually set it up, you know, so that we are encouraging trade between countries and entities that have high road labor and environmental standards that will encourage people to raise their standards, encourage countries to raise their standards so that they could get in on this trading game. But that still doesn't, and I totally take your point, um, and I said it earlier too, like we also need to be localizing our economies 
um, and buying closer to home. Um, and that should be encouraged in our global trading system as well. Maybe a race to the top is what we should be shooting for, right? Where we, I love that idea where, where countries are encouraging each other to lift all boats. I love that. I, I'm having such a wonderful, expansive conversation today here on Sustainability Now with Ilana Solomon from joining us on the virtual studio from Washington, D.C., from the Trade Justice Education Fund. Again, you can learn more about them and sign up to get updates and action alerts uh, at tradejusticeedfund.org. Uh, if you want to continue to take action on this global issue, I mean, this is about lobbying at the national level, right? Like nobody needs to be talking to their local legislators about this, or what do you think? Look, I think there's always a place for local action. I think our federal Congress plays a major role or should play a major role in shaping these agreements. So I think if people are looking to get engaged with our policymakers, a great way to start is meeting with your your representative or your two senators and talking to them about why you care about trade justice and why you believe that our current trade model that puts corporate profits above people in the environment needs to change. So that's fantastic. You know, governors, mayors, like, you know, and, and local politicians too. It certainly doesn't hurt and especially not at the statewide level. But I think um, if you are going to prioritize your time, engaging with your members of Congress would have the most impact. Are there any bills in Congress right now that are relevant to this, either in good or bad direction? Yeah. Right now, more of the action is with the Biden administration and what's called the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. Um, and they are negotiating many, many trade frameworks. Uh, they're using the language now of framework instead of agreement, which is like signifying a shift. We'll have to see what that really looks like. But there's trade frameworks now being negotiated, one called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which is a big agreement with many, many countries. There is an agreement with Latin America that's the Latin American countries underway. So when you look up on the Trade Justice website and um, stay in touch with us and take action at tradejusticeedfund.org, we will be putting out more information and ways to get engaged to influence the U.S. administration's position in these agreements and negotiations, and then we'll be having more of a congressional engagement as well, and we'll be very happy to plug folks into that. Are there any advocates for trade justice in the national legislature or in the Biden administration that are worth yeah. shouting out and celebrating right now? Yeah, look, we have our new new-ish U.S. Trade Representative, Ambassador Catherine Tai, is terrific. I think she has real potential wow. to carve out, and she's talked about a worker-centered trade policy and talks about the need to address climate change in our trade agreements Little fact, a U.S. trade agreement has never in the history of the U.S. even mentioned the words climate change, much, much less actually tried to address them meaningfully. So it's a new day, right? It is a new day in the administration. And we've already seen some indications like them saying they're not going to pursue that system of corporations directly challenging, you know, government policies and private trade tribunals. So there's certainly hope, but now we need to see. Now we need to see what actually comes out of these agreements. And we need the administration to hear that people care about a new model, a new way to do these agreements. Um, so we're cautiously optimistic. I mean, it's taking, it's 
I'm sure it's not going to be everything we want, right? And <laughs> the first blush, but we do have many allies in Congress as well. And we have for a long time, the same allies that, you know, stood up in the Trans-Pacific Partnership fight and talked about and really like prioritized that that agreement at first could only go forward if it met a certain set of standards. And when it became clear that the agreement didn't meet those standards, they fought to stop it. So yes, they're allies. Yes, we need more of them. And yes, our allies need to hear from us um, that we still need to see this big fundamental shift to put the rights of people, communities, and our planet. And what about our legislators here in Kentucky? (laughs) We actually have on the ballot one of our senators coming up in November. Rand Paul is on the ballot. Uh, And what can you tell us about their positions historically on trade and trade justice? Yes. Mr. Mitch McConnell and Ram Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I should have done more of my research. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell's not going to be with us on trade justice. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be weighing in. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be weighing in. You know, Senator Paul plays a, such a strange role and is sort of libertarian leanings. And so, you know, I think that it is maybe for different reasons, but again, certainly worth reaching out to. And it's always good. What month are we in? We're in, you know, trying to think about what's the next time that our members of Congress will be back home in their district. Yeah. But I just always think that that engagement is worthwhile. And while they are not your most receptive, they should know how their constituents stand and how their constituents feel. So get a group of people together, set up that in-district meeting and make your voice heard. And with the folks challenging these entrenched senators and representatives as well, uh, maybe Charles Booker needs to talk about global trade more. I, I, I don't know. I haven't been following his position on it, honestly. Yeah. But um, yeah, thanks for that update. And sorry to put you on the spot about it. I know it's there's a lot of things to keep track of. So I want to ask before we get to the climate peace clause, I want to ask you about that. But before we do, I've just been wondering throughout this whole conversation if there are any examples, positive examples of nations that are doing a lot better job at trade, right? That are making trade justice part of their day to day or are such nations just so isolated that we call them hermit kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are certainly, for example, some nations, as I mentioned, there's this growing movement against these um, corporate rights and trade agreements. And there are several nations, South Africa and others that are beginning to extract themselves from these, you know, broad corporate rights. So that's a really interesting new trend. It's also really interesting that those countries have not seen any decline, actually, in the Mm. amount of investment coming into their countries. The whole guise that you need these vast protections in order to attract investment doesn't actually hold up, which is really interesting. So there are some bright spots. um, But, you know, overall, I think it is just such an entrenched issue and so tied with corporate power that it's been we're seeing progress and all like I said even in the Trans-Pacific Partnership fight all those movements that held their governments accountable made big inroads but we need more bright spots. Well yeah what you're saying certainly suggests is that like with climate change we need a global movement to address this right so trade justice education fund I'm sure is more U.S. focused but is it part of say a network of global organizations working for trade justice. Yeah, we collaborate with partners all across the world. So yes, whenever I mean, yeah, 
really at all moments we are in collaboration and in partnership with if not in a um, formalized coalition wonderful all right so let's talk about some concrete things we can do uh you all have a proposal for a climate peace clause tell us about that yes so as we've been discussing we know that our global trade rules are just fundamentally incompatible with what we need to do to address climate change like fundamentally makes it harder to produce goods locally. Fundamentally, trade rules make it harder to keep fossil fuels in the ground, etc. We need to change the rules. Governments need to change the rules. But that is going to take quite a long time. We know there's so many agreements. The World Trade Organization moves exceptionally slowly. <laughs> so the idea that we have is based on the premise that just because the rules exist don't mean governments actually have to use them. And what if we essentially got governments to commit to a timeout, a commitment that the United States government can do tomorrow, today, <laughs> that say, listen, we understand how urgent it is to address the climate crisis, and we cannot let anything get in the way of that, including our global trade system. So we are hereby committing to not use global trade rules to challenge another country's climate policies. It's actually pretty simple. <laughs> Just because the rules exist don't mean you have to use them. And ideally, the US would be doing that with many other countries. And you have many countries coming together to commit to a moratorium, a timeout, to say we're not going to use the rules. We're not going to challenge each other's climate policies. Each of us, each country should be putting in place these policies to localize our economies, to be incentivizing green energy. So we're going to stop the circular firing squad. And not only will that create this timeout so we don't see this string of cases, but it actually gets breathing room for governments to come together and think about how to change the rules, which is the structural solution that we actually need. So Trade Justice Education Fund has been increasingly working to flesh out exactly what this climate peace clause will look like. But we know enough, like we've already been calling on the U.S. administration and we're working with partners in other countries, be working with their governments to say, now's the time. Let's commit to a climate peace clause and just say time out. We're not doing this anymore. And we're going to fix the rules. So our imperative to address climate change comes before the priorities of multinational corporations. So is this the kind of thing that's being discussed in the annual global climate negotiations, the Conference of Parties? Yeah, yeah. I, I have been to about a dozen of them oh, over wow. the many years. <laughs> Bless you, sister. Uh, <laughs> my carbon footprint is high. <laughs> so this is exactly what should be on the floor of this year's are in Egypt. It's a new proposal, so we're not quite there yet. But it should just it should be in the climate spaces, but it should be. I mentioned the US administration is negotiating agreement with many the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. In that agreement should be a climate peace class. Every country in that agreement should say that we are not going to challenge those climate policies. There is a U.S.-EU agreement called the Trade and Technology Council that's being sort of set up and established. They should agree there to a climate peace class. The G20 should agree to a climate peace Like, we just want this everywhere, actually. So... Yes, the UN climate change body is, is one place, but right now we want it in all the places as quickly as possible. And we've seen the, the role of multinational companies in these global climate negotiations. It, it makes me you know, a little less hopeful. They seem to have captured a lot of the process and the people's voices remain 
a challenge to get through at the global negotiation level. So yep. uh, it, it's definitely a fight, and but it is a fight for our lives. Uh, it is really an essential fight. And so I want to honor you for participating in this fight and for taking time today to join us on Forward Radio and share what you know about it. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. So I want to give you a moment to remind people of how they can get involved and Maybe I also kind of want to ask you, besides just advocating, is there anything people should be doing in their daily lives to address this problem? Yeah, great question. So first, again, just really thanking your listeners. This is like a hard, dense topic. I know. <laughs> Thanks like, for sticking really, with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. I, I really think that this one is so fundamental and so important. And obviously you do too, because you've been listening. So thank you. <laughs> Please again, do check out tradejusticeedfund.org. This is a big topic and we have scratched the surface, but I think there's materials on that website that you could just used to like I'm referring back to that website constantly right sure. like just to re-familiarize myself so you know getting familiar getting yourself educated and talking to your family members talking to your you know religious community your school board your PTA whatever it is to just start to unpack a little bit have you heard of this thing that the U.S. is negotiating it's called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework like maybe that's not your dinner conversation but can you start to like just be socializing a little bit more of these concepts but we are going to be organizing through trade justice webinars on the peace clause for example and giving people more in-depth information on how to get engaged in that fight meeting with your representative meeting with your senators even if they might not see eye to eye it is still really important for them to hear from you so that action at home is always really important and we will be providing at Trade Justice ways for you to write to the U.S. administration and make your voice heard. Um, so we really look forward to staying in touch with you on all of these things. Wonderful. And do you all have like an annual conference or meetings or regional meetings or anything like that where people can connect with other trade justice advocates? Nothing like that is in the works, but I'll add it to our plan for next year. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I just gave you another <laughs> remit. Great. <laughs> Well, sorry to overburden you, but this has been such a delight. I've, I've really learned so much, and I hope our listeners have too. Uh, and we we are now globally connected and thinking globally today. This is so important. Thanks again, Alana, for all your hard work in this field and for taking the time to join us today. It's been great. It's been so wonderful to speak with you, Justin. And thank you again to all the listeners. It's been great. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar with a whole bunch of ideas about how you can get engaged in sustainability locally right here in Louisville this week. So please do stay tuned. Just a little bit of love. 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 Little bit 
here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. So glad to have you along. Hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out and ready to take action for sustainability this week, Harry in Louisville. Well, coming up on Thursday, October 6th, it's a sad day. It is the last of the 2022 Gray Street Farmers Markets taking place at between L School of Public Health and the Metro Department of Public Health right there on 400 East Gray Street. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And L's Farmers Market will be open for the last time of the season on Thursday. With many unique local vendors, you'll find the finest in farm fresh products, including locally grown produce, spread granola, jams, desserts, and more. There'll also be a rotating group of lunch vendors and food trucks there as well. They accept cash, debit cards, SNAP benefits, and senior vouchers, which makes this a unique market. And you can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability, but we hope to see you out on East Gray Street on Thursday the 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Now, also, as you heard on this program earlier, Thursday, October 6th is the date of the Louisville Sustainability Summit for this year. It's virtual again this year, and it's online from 1 to 4 p.m. on Thursday, building from the Louisville Sustainability Council's mission to connect communities in pursuit of a sustainable and equitable future. They are proud to host Louisville 2030, A Better Tomorrow Begins Today. For this year's Louisville Sustainability Summit, they are convening local and regional leaders in the business, nonprofit, and government space to speak on policy, activism, and the sustainability movement required to shape a community vision for Louisville 2030. Again, there's going to be a panel on From Innovation to Innovative, the business case for a sustainable future, and there'll be a panel on From Vision to Visionary, the art vision for a sustainable future as well as an awesome keynote lecture this year you won't want to miss it you can get more information and get those tickets today at louisville sustainability council.org and if you cannot afford the ticket price they do have scholarships available for anyone and for students so you can get in touch with them find them at louisville sustainability council.org and we hope to see you there on thursday 1 to 4 p.m online now, also Thursday, you can get outside after that virtual summit sitting there for online for three hours. You'll probably want to head on over to the Shawnee People's Garden on Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. They need some volunteers to come out and help Common Earth Gardens plant a pollinator-friendly garden at community agriculture sites throughout Louisville. Pollinators, of course, are responsible for one out of three bites of food we take each day, and yet pollinators are at a critical point in their own survival. This is one of 13 pollinator sites that Common Earth Gardens will be installing, and your support will contribute to housing, feeding, and the protection of pollinators that are vital to our food system and environmental health. I encourage you to bring water and sunscreen to these events. Wear shoes and clothes that you don't mind getting dirty. Volunteer duties will include sod and weed removal, tilling of soil, creating walking paths, laying down landscaping fabric, scattering uh, seeds, uh, planting flower plugs and shrubs, mulching and watering. And again, it all kicks off this Thursday at the Shawnee People's Garden, October 6th from 4 to 6 p.m. They'll be returning there on October 17th and 24th from 4 to 6 as well. Then they'll be moving over to the 7th Street Community Garden on the 18th of October, both uh, from 1 to 5.30 p.m. And they'll move to 
Incubator Farm, October 26th from 1 to 5.30. And the Southside Community Garden will wrap it up on October 28th from 1 to 5.30. You can get more information and sign up to volunteer at tinyurl.com slash welovepollinators. Now that is an awesome URL. tinyurl.com slash welovepollinators. Coming out this Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Shawnee People's Garden to help Common Earth Gardens install a pollinator garden. And you'll learn a lot more about it on next week's Sustainability Now. So stay tuned for that here on Forward Radio. All right, coming up this weekend, Saturday, October 8th, uh, it is the Louisville Nature Center's Birds, Brews, and Bluegrass fundraiser taking place at the 1020 Brewery in Butchertown. Uh, Louisville Nature Center's annual fundraiser, Birds, Broods, and Bluegrass, is coming up Saturday at 1020. Uh, come say hi to some of our live-in native critters. Uh, enjoy live music and grab a brew and a bite to eat and meet other nature lovers, all while supporting a great cause. This is for folks 21 and up, and you can get more information at louisvillenaturecenter.org. Also, on this weekend, Sunday, October 9th, it is the next Kentuckiana Beekeepers Association educational session taking place at the Louisville Nature Center, ironically enough, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. And this month, Doug Potter will share his practices on small hive beetle management. You can learn more at kyannabees.com. We're just coming out at 6 p.m. on Sunday at the Louisville Nature Center, kyannabees.com. Now, the big news is that coming up this week is the start of Louisville's very first Tree Week. It's based on the annual event in Lexington and is an effort to engage our community in celebrating and raising awareness of the value of our community forest. It's a week of activities across Metro Louisville, including tree planting, mulching and pruning, tree tours and walks, outdoor activities like yoga, and online workshops, biking, scavenger hunts, hiking at local landmarks, and nature therapy and mindfulness walks, tree-centric events like film showings, art and music, story time and library events, K-12 programming, and guest speakers and webinars will also be included. There are multiple events every day. It is running from October 8th through 16th, uh, and it actually, they're getting a little early start. Now, you can even start it on Tree Week on Friday, October 7th, when they'll be kicking off the Highlands Douglas Neighborhood Association annual tree planting. It's October 7th through 9th, so all weekend at the neighborhood at the Highlands Douglas neighborhood uh, with a starting address to be determined. They are striving to reach their goal of 45% tree canopy cover in the Highlands Douglas neighborhood, and they can't stop climate change, but we can do our part in our little part of the world. To date, the Neighborhood Association has planted over 700 trees and plans to put another 50 trees in the ground this month. So consider spending a weekend among friends, neighbors, and tree enthusiasts while helping our planet. Volunteers are needed to deliver trees, plant trees, mulch, uh, and, and deliver tree deer protection as well. Volunteers over 18 are preferred. For more information, you can contact Barbara Berman at Barbara Berman, that's B-E-R-M-A-N, the number two at gmail.com. Barbara Berman, the number two at gmail.com. 
And then coming up on Saturday, October 8th, there are a whole bunch of great events coming up. The There'll be a tree giveaway at the Louisville Zoo, hosted by Trees Louisville from 9 a.m. to noon. That's at 1100 Trevilian Way. Trees Louisville's hosting a, this tree giveaway to kick off Tree Week on October 8th. Over 50 trees of various species will be available to residents of Jefferson County, and trees will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. Species include oh, black gum, chinkapin, oak, serviceberry, sweet birch, loblolly pine, pecan, and redbud trees. You can visit Trees Louisville's Facebook page for full participation rules. You can find the link to that and the link to all the information about Tree Week at treeslouisville.org. Also on Saturday, October 8th, there's going to be a Creation Care Fair at Epiphany Catholic Church, 914 Old Harrods Creek Road. This Creation Care Fair is from 1 to 4 p.m. You can see a variety of ways to keep our planet green, interactive demonstrations and displays, providing practical steps you can take for an Earth-friendly lifestyle. Plus, door prizes are going to be available. It's a hands-on experience for kids wanting to learn more about the environment and parents looking to improve the family's eating habits or to learn more about solar power and electric vehicles. If you're into gardening, you can get tips on greening up your home and see how easy it is to make your own compost, plant a tree, or select native plants for your garden. Grocery prices busting your budget will see how reducing food waste helps your wallet and the environment. If you're tired of dealing with all the plastic in your life, well, they've got solutions. Yummy food trucks will be on site as well. It is open to all for uh, just come on out this Saturday, October 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. at Epiphany Catholic Church, 914 Old Herod's Creek Road. Also, Saturday, October 8th at 2 p.m., it's a family nature play all about trees at the Louisville Free Public Library at the Northeast Regional Library, 15 Belvoir Circle. You can join the library for nature exploration and creative play through a variety of outdoor activities. Families are welcome. Dressed for the weather, it's rain or shine. There ain't going to be no rain. Ain't been a lot of rain around here in a while. You can get more information at lfpl.org. Again, it's Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Northeast Regional Library. And on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 a.m., wow, there is a West 6 Brewing for a Cause event, a Tree Fest fundraiser at West 6 Nulu, 817 East Market Street. West 6 Nulu will be donating 6% of all sales for the day to support Tree Fest on April 17th of next year. You can visit West 6 Nulu location between 3 and 6 p.m. to take pictures at Trees Louisville's Photo Center. Synthesis booth, ooh, and learn more about Tree Week, Tree Fest, and other tree-related volunteer opportunities happening around town. Uh, again, that's Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. on Sunday at West 6th New Lou, 817 East Market Street. Now, coming up on Sunday, October 9th, there's going to be a Sunday Fun Day bike ride with Bike, Cruise, and Brews on Sunday, October 9th, meeting up at 11.30 a.m. with a ride leaving at noon from the Logan Street Market, as they usually do uh, every Sunday, and that's 1001 Logan Street. You can explore Louisville on two wheels. It's a casual weekly cycling group open to all. Sunday's route will take you through the beautifully treed streets of Old Louisville and Central Park. All wheels are welcome to join, and free bikes will be available from Louvello for the ride for anyone who needs one. 
also on Sunday, and this is the last event uh, of, of the weekend for Tree Week. It's a mulching tutorial and beautification event at St. Matthew's Episcopal Church, 330 North Hubbard's Lane. And that's from 3 to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Mulching can be one of the best things you can do for a tree, but if done incorrectly, it can be one of the most harmful. So come learn proper techniques and help mulch trees across the church's beautiful campus in preparation for winter. Attendees are invited to help themselves to free wood chips available at the church for use at home. That's this Sunday, 3 to 5, St. Matthew's Episcopal Church on Hubbard's Lane. And finally, on Monday, October 10th, it's Mulchin' Mondays at Camp Taylor Memorial Park, Monday from 1 to 3 p.m., and that is at 4201 Lee Avenue. You can join Louisville Metro Urban Forestry to mulch the newly planted trees at Camp Taylor Memorial Park. Mulch tools and gloves will all be provided, and that's 1 to 3 p.m. on Monday at Camp Taylor Memorial Park on Lee Avenue. Then on Monday from 4 to 6, it's a tree identification and foraging walk with Jacob Critter, hosted by Louisville Grows. They'll be meeting up at Iroquois Park. Meeting location will be in the parking lot near the amphitheater. If you've ever wondered, I wonder what this tree is, You've, and if you've ever asked yourself this question, come on out and join Jacob Critter on a tree ID walk through Iroquois Park. Jacob will answer your questions while you tour and learn more about trees native to Kentucky. Along the walk, you'll also learn about other native plants, animals, and even about making a native garden in your own backyard. So come on out to Iroquois Park, meet at the parking lot for the amphitheater at 4 p.m. on Monday. Also on Monday at 6 p.m., it's the family story time at Southwest Regional Library. Uh, 9725 Dixie Highway Family Storytime is an opportunity for families to bond over shared stories and songs as well as engage in creative activities that reinforce a lifelong love of learning. It's for ages 3 and 8, 3 through 8 and their families on Monday at 6 p.m. There'll also be a Shelby Park Horticulture Walk on Monday from 5 to 6 at beautiful Shelby Park, 600 East Oak Street. You can join the Olmstead Park Conservancy to learn about the historic planting plan designed by the Olmstead Brothers in 1907. How the park has changed since those early days and what interesting plant collections are growing there now. Huge oaks and flowering understory trees complement the geometric layout of this urban green space. The one-mile stroll will be on paved flat surfaces and will last about an hour. And that's Monday at 5 p.m. at Shelby Park. And finally, on Monday at 6.30 p.m., Green Heart to Green Corridors, Trees as Infrastructure. It'll be held at the main branch of the Louisville Free Public Library, 301 York Street. This discussion will include some of the work involved in the Green Heart Project, utilizing trees and vegetation to improve health. And building on that effort, looking at how an intense greening initiative could help revitalize downtown Louisville. This program is free and open to the public. Registration is requested at lfpl.org. And that's it for Tree Week this week. We'll tell you more about the other events coming up through the end of Tree Week here on Forward Radio next week on our program. I've been Justin Mogg. Thanks so much for tuning in. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well. Be well.